Welcome to Think Big with Dan and Kasim. Join host Dan Melnick and Kasim Masood as they explore big ideas, limitless possibilities, and engage with visionaries, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders who dare to dream big, get inspired, motivated, and find practical tips for personal growth. Think big, dream bigger, and ignite your potential. Welcome to Think Big with Dan and Cosme. We have Mateen filling in for Cosm today, and our guest today is Jeff. So, Jeff, if you want to go ahead and introduce yourself, tell us where you live and what you do for a living. Well, my name is Jeff McKissick. I live in Dallas, Texas. And when people say, so what do you do for a living? My basic response is, I teach you how to spot trouble before trouble spots you. So, so how did you get started in doing this business? Back in 1987, I graduated from college and like many college students was twirling my thumbs at home and my parents going, I have a degree now, what am I gonna do? <laughs> and there was a gentleman that came on TV that night and this was an investigative reporter and producer for 2020, 60 Minutes and NBC News, his name was Ken Wooden. This man that during the 70s and 80s interviewed Ted Bundy, Henry Lee Lucas, John Wayne Gacy, most of the names we know in crime history. But when he had a chance to interview them, he asked them a question no one else had thought to ask them before. Everyone else was trying to get inside their head. Why did you do it? Ken Wooden said, I really don't care why you did it. I want to know how you did it. How did you convince people to trust you? How did you lure your victims? You didn't use a gun or knife. You just had a good story. How did you gain people's trust to do the things you did? And after over a thousand of these interviews over a 10 year period, he found that the lures they used fell into 10 basic categories. From that, he developed a program called the Child Lures Crime Prevention Program. So at 22, when you have no fear and pre-internet, I hand wrote a letter, having just graduated from college, <laughs> again, when you have no fear at that age, and said, hey, I caught you on TV. I thought, I think what you're doing is great. Is there a chance that maybe I could work with you? Put my phone number at the bottom, sent it off thinking, okay, I'll never hear from this guy. I mean, he had six national and international awards in the White House, United Nations, Pulitzer Prize nomination, yeah, but you know, you roll the dice. Two weeks later, he called my parents home in Fort Worth and said, I want to meet you. So my dad put me on a plane up to Vermont. So he lured me, put me on a flight, plane up to Vermont, went up there, we hit it off. And for the next about eight to 10 years, I worked as an apprentice, not only helping stories, put stories together for the media, but he said, I want you to know my program as well as I do. And to this day, he would tell you, I know his program better than he does because those first three years, I taught that child lures program to 250,000 K through 12 students in three years. Now, the 40, 50,000 adult professionals, various continuing education courses and in-service seminars. So by the time I was 25, I'd already been in front of 300,000 people. So when people say, how did you start your public speaking career? It was a baptism by fire. So jumped in with both feet and really haven't looked back. I've been in the same subject matter now for 35 plus years, even though back in 2000, I began to target more the adult market versus the kid market. And that's really where I found my niche with Ken Wooden's Blessing. So what made you want to make that pivot going from, you know, kids to adults? I, age. <laughs> I mean, I got to the point, you know, I was sitting on, kin on carpets with kindergartners. I was in high school assemblies. I was doing all the stuff that a lot of speakers do. And they're first out there working with the schools. But also, I was spending four to six weeks at a time on the road. Uh, it just got to be really weary on the body and the mind and relationships and everything. 
So I really wanted to find something more grounded. And one of the things that we did in late 80s for Oprah 2020, Good Morning America and other shows, we went from Princeton University to UCLA, shopping malls between on hidden camera, lured over 200 men and women into cars and vans to show how easy it was to lure a grown adult to get into a car with a total stranger. The idea back then was, if I can lure you as an adult, of course I can lure your child, hence this program. The thing that kept haunting me was, okay, if we're teaching the kids Who's teaching the adults? Because they are getting into the cars. So I knew there was a viable market. And back in 2000, tip of the hat, Ken Wooden, uh, I said, hey, I just really want to focus on this adult market. There's a lot of vulnerabilities out there that nobody's addressing, including workplace violence. And this is long before the days of the active shooter stuff, but domestic violence in the workplace, various points of social engineering long before it was cool to call it social engineering, all these different things. And so that's where I kind of planted my flag back in 2000. And there again, haven't looked back since. What was your biggest challenge in starting this business? I would say one, it was an area I wasn't necessarily prepared for in the fact I was the youngest in my family, even in the neighborhood I grew up in, everybody was my age or older. I wasn't used to being around kids. I was uncomfortable working with kids, which sounds so crazy when I worked with 250,000 of them in a three year period. That was the biggest challenge for me is I felt unprepared, both in the subject matter, because I didn't major in psychology. I did have a minor in psychology, but, you know, nothing about this really worked. The one thing I had going for me from elementary through college, I was a magician. I did magic. So I was used to being in front of people and performing, if you will, uh, improvising as needed. My parents always had me in music and dance and theater and things that always had me in front of people. So I never knew stage fright. I never knew butterflies to this day. I just had a, a conference book me for next year in front of 3,700 people as their opening keynote. And they said, you gonna have a problem with that? I went, more the merrier as far as I'm concerned. The bigger the crowd, more I get wound up. So I've never had that dynamic. That's been a positive. I would say the biggest negative was that. And also, the marketing, the initial marketing, how did I get myself out there into the schools and into the marketplace? And then when it was just me, I no longer had Ken Wooden's coattails to ride on with the childers firm. But when it was me developing my own company, my own business, you know, there there were definitely some challenges early on in the marketing because, again, this was pre-internet. So what's the role of technology in your business right now? heavily. <laughs> I live and breathe uh, a lot in the realm of technology. If anybody cares to follow me on LinkedIn, you'll see that. I'm very active on LinkedIn. Facebook, I tell people if it's not really my crowd for business, I won't say I've never gotten any leads off Facebook, but it predominantly is not for me. I'm not a B2C type business. I'm more B2B. I deal with professionals, C-suite executives, risk managers, HR managers. Those are not people you're going to typically market to on Facebook. So for me, it's definitely been LinkedIn where I found my biggest strength in working through groups uh, on LinkedIn and marketing that way, developing leads, developing those connections, developing the networking. Of course, with the advent of the Internet, being able to do Zoom one on one. So I may connect with somebody in New Jersey or California and I may not be able to sit down, and have coffee with them face to face. But like we're doing right now. The internet has opened this up wide with Zoom and other platforms, meetings, and all these other different conversational platforms where when I do connect with somebody now on LinkedIn, even if it's at a distance, I'm actually doing a one-on-one -on -one tomorrow next week with someone in, I think it's either 
Austria or Switzerland or somewhere next week that's a developer of a new software that has to do with security that reached out to me on LinkedIn. So we're going to do a one-on-one next week, but obviously it's going to be virtual. So I rely heavily upon technology now for my networking, for my marketing, for promotions, and for just that general connecting with new prospects. Are you using AI currently in your any system? Oh, absolutely. In fact, there's a platform I use for my marketing, and it's based on ChatGPT3 and ChatGPT4 now, but it does things for me on my websites. It does things for me on prospect acquisition. If I want to develop database list of certain vertical markets, um, there's certain things that I can interact with on the platform to create landing pages, click funnels, sales funnels, all those certain things that's all done by AI now. Awesome. So would you say in terms of like, what does scalability look like for you? Because you're just one person, right? You're one person going out, meeting all these people. So how do you look at scalability for your business? Interesting you bring that up because that's something that, especially over this year, has come up. I've got a, a several companies I'm talking to right now, one with 40 locations throughout California, one with just 10 locations in Louisiana, but they're not going to want to send me around dog and pony to do on-site training at every one of those. So now I'm looking at creating video content that be personally customized, branded for those entities where I would be available to be on site with them, whether they use this in like 10 minute modules and periodically during the year in their staff meetings, or if some incident comes up and everybody needs that tap on the shoulder in mind, hey, remember when we talked about this? So that kind of content is right now how I'm multiplying myself. I am looking at a program in the future whereby it would be an intellectual property license to train other people to do some of what I do. Uh, rather than a franchise, it'd be more of an IP type situ situation. So that's in the future. But right now, the easiest way to do it is through video. So how do you differentiate yourself from your competition? If you could show me who my competition is, I could explain that. But honestly, and, and I, don't, I don't, I don't mean that in a braggadocious way. But even people who booked me to speak would tell you, we've never heard anybody that does what you do. There are people out there that do active shooter. I don't. There are people out there that deal in more OSHA type safety, slip fall, things like that. I don't. I deal in some areas, primarily three, physical risk, data risk, reputational risk, that most people don't. In fact, the conference that booked me to speak is for legal technology uh, executives in the US, UK, Canada, and Australia. I'll be keynoting next year. And they've already had me speak at one conference, about 250, and they said, yeah, now we want to have you speak to about 3,700. But they had heard me at a prior conference where most people, and this is legal technology, these are CIOs, CTOs, CISOs, all your technologists out there. And while they were talking about cybersecurity, I deal with data security, and most people confuse those. Whereas cybersecurity is a subset of data security. I can hack your information without ever hacking a computer by compromising one of your people. Social engineering, whether it's impersonation, bribery, blackmail, I can compromise somebody on the inside to give me the information I want from the inside out. And they had said, you know, we know that's out there, but we don't have anybody that's talking about that. And I've been booked at several quote unquote cyber technology conferences to speak because I'm speaking about something most people are not that pertains to data compromise, but just not in that classical cyber sense. 
Awesome. And that's just one area. Same thing with physical, ideal things other than active shooter that can take people off guard, put people in the emergency room and companies in the courtroom and the newsroom, and but doing it in a way that nobody is really addressing. So, again, I didn't mean that in a braggadocious way. I just no, I no, haven't. That's good. That's really good. So, you know, obviously you've spoken in front of lots of different people. What has been the coolest moment for in, in your career so far? Oh, man. <laughs> Gosh. You know, I have to go back to my original days and I worked with child lawyers and there was a principal and she was a battle axe. I hate to put it that way, but she was. She was tough as nails. And I tried and tried and tried to get to her elementary school. And finally I did. And she wrote me to this day, one of the most incredible letters of reference and recommendation I've ever received. I think that was just, I worked for that so hard. <laughs> I think that's probably one of the most meaningful to me, but I've gotten letters from the National Restaurant Association, from U.S. Department of Agriculture, uh, a lot of Charter Property Casualty Underwriters Association, a lot of national, international groups I've worked with and spoken to, large national restaurant chains that you would know the names of. And I've gotten kudos and accolades from those, but I mean, I've met, I've definitely dealt with some cool people. Uh, I think one of the most fun I ever did was in the early days when I was with Ken, and we were called in by a certain CEO of a large government contractor who wanted to bring us in to do training for their employees with kids as a value add to those employees. This is a large company. And when we sat down with him initially, when he, Ken found out that he wanted us just to train the employees with children, so he knows when we were doing all these lures on TV, we were luring the adults, not the kids. And he kicks back in his chair and says, I think my people know better than take candy from strangers. Ken leans forward in the chair and says, you want to bet? Why don't you loan Jeff and I one of your surveillance fans and let's see how many of your employees we can lure in one hour. So the next day we set up outside one of their locations and one of their private credit union lot, sites. And we lured six people in our car in one hour. And one of them was the courier for the credit union that when he got into our car had $250,000 in cash in the bag with him when he got into the car. We didn't know it until after the fact, but we had all on audio and video. And when the CEO saw his own people, including a courier for the company with a quarter of a million in cash getting into the car due to a good story, that was definitely fun. <laughs> I've got a lot of those kind of stories, though, that we did over the years. We actually lured people, and it was amazing, amazing to see how extremely well-educated people and people you wouldn't think would fall for something like that did just that. And so, Jeff, what does a day in your life look like? Walk me through how you spend a day, like a typical day. It's really project by project. For instance, I'm working on a project right now for a three-hour in-service next month in Fort Worth, and I've got about six corporate sponsors who are bringing their clients together for this. But at the same time, we have a, a large educational institution that's hosting it, and they're doing an outreach. But I'm not that speaker that just rests on his laurels thinking everyone else is going to do my work. So in addition to those companies inviting their clients and the host inviting their people, I've been on email all day yesterday, most of today, on the phone, on the email, contacting various people within um, the nonprofit sector, whether it's private schools, churches, or classical nonprofits, 
and personally getting on the phone and emails and inviting various guests to attend that event. And my sponsors always love that. And they know that I'm not the guy that just expects an audience to show up. I don't have a field of dreams mentality that if we book it, they will come. I actually pull my weight. I, I make sure that I do what I can to make my sponsors look good at these events. So I will always be involved in the logistics of any events that I'm involved with to do what I can to maximize everyone's ROI in the project. So what is the one biggest piece of advice you knew before you got started in this journey? So what was the what? What was the one biggest piece of advice that you wish you knew before you got started in your career? Oh, before I got started in the career, I wish I knew. One was I had to learn along the way, and Ken Wood taught me this. And again, it, it pertains to my industry, but people don't buy necessarily things just because they're good. There's usually a point of pain. And now I've learned, and over the years, I've heard people redefine that, that there's only two things people ever buy. And I absolutely agree with this because when I think about just me as a consumer and everything I've bought in my adult life, it's true. There's only two reasons I purchased something is either because it gave me a good feeling or because it solved a problem. That's it. When people are motivated to buy, they're motivated to buy because either it makes them feel good about themselves or a situation, their family, what have you, or it solves a problem for them, their business, their company, their family, what have you. That's it. And so when Ken educated me early on that, hey, we have a great program, but that's not what's going to sell it. It's the fact that it's helping save companies and entities liability. It's helping reduce insurance claims, this, that, and the other. That was great. But later on, that evolved to that paradigm that I learned about the only two things that people ever buy. And I would say, I don't care who is listening to the show today. If you are at all involved in sales and marketing, those are words worth heeding. There are only two things people ever buy. Good feeling or solution to problem? The question is, not which one are you selling? Which one is your buyer seeking to purchase? That's what you have to understand. Not what your motivation is in selling. What is their motivation in potentially buying? Yeah, that makes sense. So speaking of solving problems, so like, you know, we always like, think about technology. So going back to that earlier point, in terms of the technology that you're using today, what is one thing you wish that, you know, could be improved in terms of just technology in general, AI or anything that you use today? Well, of course, AI is ever evolving day by day. That is evolving. So I, it's one of those things where I don't know enough to know what I don't know. <laughs> just because it's a new landscape, it seems like every day related to technology. Uh, I'm pretty happy with the things that I've been seeing out there and certainly the tools that I've been using. Uh, it's so great now for entrepreneurs. They're just starting their own business. Uh, those that would potentially follow me on social media, I do a lot by video. I think video reigns supreme. Facts tell, but stories sell. One of the best ways to tell a story is by video. If you look at what, when most people, I think now YouTube outranks Google as far as a search engine. People want to see things about you and your company. They want something that's more visual. I don't think we've totally gotten past the place of reading, obviously. There's a place for text, there's a place for articles, even though a lot of it now is, even that's online. But man, video reigns supreme. And what you can now do on your own, I still, I still contract professional video production people to do things when it calls for that. 
but a lot of my day-to-day -day videos that I put together, it's not even my face on it. It's platforms and websites that allow me to go on and create some really, really cool content that just keep, keeps that social media buzz going and do it consistently. That's another key. Uh, but there are so many platforms out there that allow you to do that now, and they're cheap. I mean, it's, ne it's never been so good to be an entrepreneur as it is in today's technological field. For sure. So if we're going to have this conversation again in one year from now, where do you expect things to be for your business? I would say much further along in the video content aspect, as I'm really working now with several companies that have the potential of doing some private branding on some projects that once it's done, it's easily replicated through that same vertical and just wash, rinse, repeat. It sounds funny coming from a bald guy to use that phrase, but there you go. That's why we use the hat because otherwise it'd just be a blank field up there. And this is way more interesting than you see in my bald head. And also, you know, in business, we all wear many hats. I have over 40 in my collection. So I literally wear many hats. But cool. um, I think that's probably at this point kind of where I'm, I'm standing as far as the video content. I do have something in my mind related to the intellectual property type program, but that's going to take some time. There's a certain entity that I'm courting out there for that because obviously I want to make sure if I do that and people that would be out there representing me and what I do, that they've been properly vetted as well because we all know things can happen. So I, I, that's something I want to do, but I'm going to be very slow and deliberate doing it for that very reason of reputation management. So I think where I'm really going to be focused is on the video market and working that and developing video uh, vertical market centric content that can just be marketed over and over down that same vertical. That's cool. So if somebody wanted to reach out to your business, what's the best way that they can find you or if you can share like your website? You can check out the website. It's funny because I have a website and yet, even though I mention it here and most people will see it on my business card or what have you, I personally don't typically send people to my website. I have probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 60 to 80 very specific landing pages. When you, Martine, was talking about uh, technology, I do almost all my business by landing page. I have a landing page for every presentation I do. I have a landing page for every vertical market I work in. I have a landing page for every call to action at the end of a PowerPoint I do. I have a landing page literally for every special event I do in registration. I live and breathe landing pages. Fortunately, the platform I use gives me unlimited landing pages, so I can create them all day long. And I probably just for myself or others have created well over 200 pages now. But just for my own, that's where I live and breathe. But to generally reach out to me, defensebydesign.com, it's there. I would say if someone really wants to reach out to me, engage with me, the best way there is LinkedIn. It's just Jeff McKissick. And it's M-C-K-I-S-S-A-C-K. Don't make me sick. S-S-I-C-K. Don't make me sick. I'm a sack. So M-C-K-I-S-S-A-C-K. Awesome, Jeff. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really enjoyed our conversation. Appreciate it, guys. And certainly, I would encourage your audience, take advantage of all that you can in the realm of technology right now. And there again, especially if you're an entrepreneur, don't rely. And I would say this, if you are actually working for a larger company, don't rely on them to do your branding. Your time may be limited where you're working right now. Create your own brand. Let people know who you are. Connect 
based upon you and what you offer the world, because those skill sets and that reputation will follow you no matter where you go. There again, one of the best ways to do it is now with all the technology that's there and available for you to do just that. So I appreciate the time. Sounds great. Thanks again. And hopefully yeah, we can chat in a year from now as you continue to scale your business. Into that, tip of the hat. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Thank you, Jeff. All right, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.